would help if I switched myself on. Thank you very much, Anne. So it's a bit cosy today, um, but I think it's quite nice. Um, it's just an experiment for future use. Our call to worship this morning comes from the book of Isaiah. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress, instead of the briar shall come the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Our opening hymn of worship this morning is Worship the Lord in the Beauty of Holiness. And if you're able, you are invited to stand as we sing together. To God in prayer, and after I have led us in what today is quite an imaginative kind of a prayer, we are invo- invited to join together in the Lord's Prayer, and as is usual, in your own first language, your own preferred version, and if you're not sure of the words, one will appear on the screen. So let's pray together. 
in your imagination. I invite you to go to an outdoor place or space that for you has positive thoughts or associations. Maybe a garden or a park, a forest or a shore. So let us first still our hearts and become aware that we are in the presence of God. Loving God, as I come to you now, I travel in my mind to the place I have chosen. I thank you for this place that for me is, at least in some measure, a haven from the hurly-burly of everyday life. I thank you for the good memories I associate with it for its significance to me. I find a place to pause. Maybe I sit on a bench or a wall, or perhaps I lean against a fence or a tree, and I look at the beauty that surrounds me, the shapes the colours, the smells, the sounds, the feel of the air, the sun or the rain, snow or wind. Thank you, God. For the beauty and diversity of this place. For the contentedness of flowers and plants. Simply to be and not to do. For those that are found only in places like this. And for those that it seems are found everywhere. I breathe in the freshness and I breathe out the heavy staleness of regret, anxiety, (coughs) guilt, fear, anger or even bitterness. You alone, God, can absorb all my hurt, tend my wounds, and restore me to wholeness. So I ask you to take from me now the thoughts, emotions, or feelings that prevent me from being fully alive. I relax. I cease from doing. I allow myself simply to be.
God who provides me with spaces and places for rest and refreshment. I thank you for the gentle reminder that you expect me to take time to enjoy them. And I join my voice with those of others as we continue to pray for your kingdoms in breaking, as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever.
Our Bible reading this morning is Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the lamp in the middle of his street. On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruits every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any cause, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bond servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will, be, there will no longer be any night, and they will not have any need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. And the second scripture is in Matthew chapter 26, verses 25 to 34. Okay, Matthew 6. <laughs> yes, I was wondering what was happening. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the best of the year. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather in the bands, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you be willing add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you of little feet? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Thank you.
stand over here. I know it means I'm a long way away, but I kind of would like to be able to let everybody see, and then I'll move forward in a bit. When I was learning to preach, one of the things that they always used to say to me is, the best sermons you preach are the ones that you need to hear yourself. Now, I make no claims that this is the best sermon I will ever preach, but it is definitely one that I need to hear myself. Our Creation Time series this week continues with a focus loosely on the word vegetable, which could very easily take us to a direct focus on ecology and creation care. I think, or at least I hope, that we don't need to spend a lot of time reflecting on the precarious state of our planet. I think we all know and understand that. And I don't think we need to reflect particularly on the need for humans to rethink our relationship with the Earth and its limited resources in great detail, because I think we all get that too. Instead, I want to take a different angle, starting from the beauty and diversity of plant life, moving on to the importance and potential of plants, some of them quite rare, and then finally to consider what we can learn from the examples of the vegetation that shares this earth with us. But first, because you didn't get a nice all-age slot, we're going to have a little quiz. So um, there's a lot of food stuffs mentioned in the Bible. Lots of different vegetables are, men are mentioned. But if you were going to make a bowl of biblical broth, what five vegetables would you need to include? And I won't tell you off if you don't get it right. It's okay. Depends how, much, how well you know the book of numbers, I think, as much as anything else. But we're not putting cucumbers in our soup. I'll give you that one to start off with, because cucumbers get a mention in numbers. Any other thoughts? Oh dear, this could be hard work this morning, couldn't it? Shall I tell you? Okay. You would need some leeks, some onions, some garlic, some lentils, and some beans. All of those are mentioned in the Bible as food. And, and the, um, the Exodus story, which we pick up in Numbers, the um, embryonic Israelite, Israel nation grumble that when they were in Egypt, they had lovely food to eat, they had cucumbers and, and melons and, and garlic, and now they just have this blooming manna every day. Okay, I think this might be hard, but never mind, we'll keep going. I have for you a biblical herb garden here. Lots of different herbs and spices are mentioned in the Bible. Here are four of them. Can you recognise any of them? So this is, this is a bit like the, um, the master chef ingredients test. Anybody recognise any of them? Sorry? Mint, yep, top right is mint. No, I've got no parsley there. Coriander, well done, Leo. Yep, top left is coriander. No, I don't have anise or fennel. Dill, yep, I have some dill. I don't have thyme. Um, the, fourth, the last one is rue, which is probably one we don't think of very much. But that's a huge list. I went online and I found this enormous list of herbs and spices, all of which are mentioned. One last bit of pictures. Can you recognise these flowers? Lily, yep, sorry. No, it's not freesia. Could have been, but it's not. <laughs> Crocus, yep. 
uh, close. Lily of the Valley on the right. Yeah, that's actually a jonquil, so it's kind of a daffodil. Yeah. These are all thought to be flowers that could be meant by the biblical reference of a lily of the valley. Could be any of these. Does anybody know what the one I've just put up is in the middle? By what? Um, it, well, it may be, but that's not the name that I know it by, um, or that the web told me it was. <laughs> this is a rose of Sharon, um, apparently. It's not a rose. It's just a flower, and that's um, the name that is used for it. And all of these flowers sometimes are referred to on block in the Bible as the flowers of the field. So the words, the, lily, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the flowers of the field, all these phrases can be used interchangeably. So lots about flowers and vegetables and plants in the Bible. I'm going to show you another pl- flower here. What, do you like it? Do you think it's a nice one? Do you think it's boring? Nice, yeah? Anybody know what it is? This one is called a Madagascan periwinkle. You all knew that, didn't you? You're just being polite to me. This is an evergreen plant that grows about a metre high and is native to Madagascar, surprisingly enough. And some related plants are found in Mexico and India. In the wild, it's an endangered species because its habitat is being destroyed by slash-and-burn agriculture. By contrast, cultivated versions of it have adapted so well to other environments that in some parts of Australia it is listed as a noxious weed. It just shows how in different places things are perceived differently. In traditional Indian and Chinese herbal medicine, extracts from its roots and shoots have been long been used to treat a range of diseases, including diabetes, malaria and Hodgkin's lymphoma. Western medicine has developed powerful chemotherapy drugs from the natural substance in these flowers that can be used to treat a wide range of different cancers. But it's an endangered plant. Does anybody recognise this one? This is the Pacific U. And you can guess where that's found, can't you? Mostly, it's on the Pacific coast of the USA. A small evergreen. Its numbers are declining and it is very close to being on the endangered species list. Related to the ewes that are found in churchyards and cemeteries here in the UK, this tree has a special place in my own heart because it is from this tree that the chemotherapy drug that was particularly helpful for me was first derived. So we have two examples of of plants that are attractive to look at, that have incredible potential in promoting health and healing, and could so easily have been extinct before we made those discoveries. It's a thought for our ecology heads, that one. I don't know about you, but I love flowers, and... I like to just go to places where you can find flowers, whether that's a park or a garden, over to the botanics, in a forest, in a field. Their beauty and their scents are just the sort of delight for me. They make me sneeze sometimes, I have to confess, but I love them. 
And that's brilliant, but it's only part of the story. They're not just there to look pretty. Every plant on our planet is vital to the thriving of the whole of life on Earth. And what's true of the Madagascan periwinkle and the Pacific yew is also true of some plants we might think are less lovely. One last plant to show you. It is. It's a nettle. Who likes stinging nettles? Interesting, isn't it? We don't like them. You can actually make soup from them, which I'm told is very tasty. I have never tried. But it's the bane of gardeners and ramblers. It, it really hurts when you get stung by a nettle. But it's really, really important for these four creatures. Does anybody recognise any of those? And don't just say they're all butterflies, because I, I can do that one. We have a red admiral, a small tortoiseshell, a peacock and a comma. And all four of those lay their eggs on stinging nettles, knowing that they will be safe from predators as the caterpillars hatch and start to grow. So whether it's the mighty forests that act as the lungs of the earth, or the fruit and vegetables we use as food, or the tiny rare plants whose value and potential we've yet to discover, every single part of vegetation has its place on our planet and most of the problems we have with invasive species, um, like Japanese knotweed in our country, or um, some of the, the um, Madagascan periwinkles in Australia, it's to do with human greed and exploitation. We've just moved things around from where they naturally grew and served their purpose. Which kind of takes us back to where we are, and the possibility that we as human beings can learn from the plants that surround us. I've finished with my pictures now, so I'll move up a bit closer. This might sound really daft, but a question I ask to myself is, what can I learn from a dandelion or a buttercup? What can the trees teach me? And yet from our call to worship this morning and from the Bible readings we've heard, it's clear there is much for us to learn about our relationship with God, about our own well-being and about the thriving of the whole earth. In the poetry and wisdom literature of the Bible, we find numerous references to creation, animal, vegetable and mineral, and all of it offers worship to God. And as far as I can ascertain, this is something unique to the monotheistic faiths derived from Judaism, and it's in a complete contrast to the polytheistic faiths that have spirits or gods even inhabiting plants and trees and other parts of the natural world. So rather than each plant being worshipped, the God that's in it, we have a view that says the plants also worship the God who is the origin of their being. So we have this language of trees of fields that can clap their hands. We have talk of stars that sing and so on. That might be completely metaphorical, but actually it might not be. There is a growing body of evidence to suggest that trees and plants have some kind of sentience, 
and have some sort of community. I came across a book uh, the other day, I haven't read it, um, called The Secret Life of Trees. And it talks about how trees actually look after each other. Whether it is metaphorical, whether it's literal, it doesn't matter. It reminds us of the Godward direction of authentic life. It recognises our place within creation and that creation is drawn to the worship of God, creator, redeemer and sustainer of all. Or maybe that's a bit ethereal. How about something a little bit more straightforward, a bit more literal, a bit more practical? In the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we find the familiar injunction to consider the lilies. In Matthew, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, and it follows some incredibly demanding teaching on personal ethics. In Luke, it follows the parable of the man who wanted to build bigger barns and bigger barns to store his crops, and comes before some teaching about the end times. So it's in the midst of really complicated, hard-to-get-your-head-around stuff that Jesus says this. And I found myself wondering, did he look around at his hearers and think, oh gosh, you know, they're looking very bewildered and bemused now. And then he just spotted the flowers because he did a lot of his preaching outside. And it's just getting on with being. It's not worried about all this stuff. And maybe he says to them, in the middle of all that perplexity, and he says to us in the middle of all that perplexity, look around you. Look at the natural world. Look at the flowers, whether they're cultivated or wild. Look at those things that you think as beautiful in nature. They're not (coughs) getting themselves wound up about all this stuff. They simply live secure in the love of God. They grasp in some way that their worth is not in what they do. It's just simply that they are. If you want to use um, fancy sort of philosophical language, it's a kind of ontological thing. Their very being is where their worth is. If I was going to use um, a word that's quite popular at the moment to describe the lifestyle of the flowers of the field, it would be non-striving. And by that, I don't mean idleness or a naive expectation that God will just miraculously supply everything, but rather a sense of contentedness, of being secure in our own identity, of doing what is necessary, but without the need to compete and without the need to worry about the things that are beyond our control. I find that challenging because I am a driven person and I am a bit of a perfectionist and I am a bit over-reflective. But what I hear Jesus saying to me and to people like me, and I know there are a lot of them in this church, he's saying, chill out, relax, Stop with the overthinking. Just allow yourself to flourish as God has intended. So that for me is the message I'm taking away because it's what I need to think about. But lastly, we have the beautiful image in Revelation of the tree of life that grows on the bank of the river. I had a quick look online and I found some 
bits of artwork that people have done on this idea of the tree of life. Somebody has made the globe into a tree. Some colours. A bit more abstract. I cannot make any claim to understand the book of Revelation. I did do a course on it and I finished it none the wiser. I can't claim I understand the symbolism of the fruit. But what did strike me as I read the passage again this week is the healing properties of the leaves. don't know what it means exactly. It could mean a healing of the internal nations, sorry, internal tensions within nations. It could mean, as the one that looked like a globe suggests, reconciliation between the nations. But because I like to check out Greek words now and again and, and use concordances and dictionaries and things, I checked out the word that's translated as nations here. And elsewhere in the Bible and in different translations of the Bible, the same word is translated as Gentiles and heathens and pagans. And so if the healing of the trees, of leaves, of the tree of life is for the healing of that set of words, then that goes further than any kind of nation state idea. In fact, it even probably takes us beyond a faith-based idea. Challenging thought to ponder. It imagines the whole of humanity reconciled. What I like about this, though, is that it's not achieved by human ingenuity, but by the inherent healing and life-giving abilities of a tree. To eat from the tree of life, which has echoes of the Genesis story, is to find ultimate wholeness. I do wonder, maybe, just maybe, could it be the importance of plants such as the Madagascan periwinkle, the Pacific yew, or some other precious, precarious species of plant that will lead us to understand better our place in the environment, to be more active in our concern for it, and ultimately the key to the global peace of which we all dream. Plants as our teachers, as our healers, as those who nourish our bodies and delight our senses. They are incredibly precious. And so it's only fitting that we thank God for them and as God's co-creators, commit ourselves to take care of them. Amen. For beauty of meadow, for grandeur of trees, we praise you, creator, extolling your plan.
let us pray. Dear Creator Lord, we are gathered here as a community to worship you. We are taught to think of you as a loving parent, and so, like children assured of a listening ear, we take this opportunity to bring to you our fears for ourselves, our families, indeed for our world. We also pray that you help others for whom we are presently concerned. (laughs) Dear Lord, there are so many tragedies in our world as we have seen in this last year, too many to number, but there are also potential tragedies, and we fear this when we see three powerful rulers the Korean, the Russian, the American, sabre-rattling and posturing like quarrelling children in a playground. But their playground is our world, and their weapons are more than words. These men can unleash the forces of Armageddon. As in days of your Lord, touch their tongues With the fire of wisdom and peace, we pray. Let them not combine to destroy all that you have created. Currently we see hurricanes and floods and earthquakes, the devastating forces of nature we cannot control, unleashed in all their fury, visiting carnage and destruction on the poor and the wealthy alike. We bow our heads in shame. We to whom you gave the stewardship of the world you made. We who in selfishness and greed have failed to use our resources wisely and have upset the delicate balance you designed. Lord, do not let the many suffer for the sins of the few. As in olden times, Still the turbulent waters, rein in the raging winds, and calm the earth's inner fires. For this mercy we humbly pray. As I have said, we approach you as children, but I sometimes imagine you think we have remained perpetual teenagers, forever rebelling against your commands and authority. Confident we know and can do better. Well, the proof is out there. We do not. We cannot. Not on any level. Teach us to grow up, Lord, we pray. Light of the world, shine blessings upon all who live in the darkness of fear, poverty, loneliness, hunger, illness, degradation, subjugation by the state in their political, spiritual and sexual lives. Comfort the despairing, the suicidal, the terminally ill and support those who selflessly love and care for them. Grant those who suffer renewed joy in existence renewed hope for a peaceful future 
for them and generations to come. Finally, God be with us in the dark, in the cold, in the hours of fear, and in the loneliness of doubt. God, our parent and friend, hold our trembling hands, help us and walk with us forever. This we ask in the name of your beloved Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who sits at your right hand and intercedes for us still. Amen. Gracious God, we offer to you these our gifts of money, and with them we offer ourselves, asking you to still us where we are too busy, and show us how we best can help others to discover the healing, the hope that you bring to us through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Our closing hymn for the healing of the nations. Lord, we pray with one accord.
Deep peace of the running wave to you. Deep peace of the flowing air to you. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the shining stars to you. Deep peace of the gentle night to you. Moon and stars pour their healing light on you. Deep peace of Christ. Of Christ the light of the world. To us and to all. Now and always. Thank you.